This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerson, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. In general, pretty much all expenses or cost of goods sold for your business are treated exactly the same for income tax purposes. However, there are some exceptions to this rule that most people are not aware of. I figured as tax season is luckily coming to a close here, we should talk a little bit about some of these examples and how they might be affecting you or some stuff that you can do to make sure that you're not negatively affected by these in the future. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Hey, did you know Napa Tracks has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets you to learn about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Is this an advertising expense or is this a discount or is this a warranty expense? This is questions I hear all the time. Should I put it here? Should I put it there? Does it really matter? And from a classification perspective and being able to analyze your financial statements, these are very valid questions and something we spend a lot of times with our clients talking about the different ways to report these. Hey, you know, at the end of the day, if we put it here or there, it's all going to be deducted, but I'd rather see it here so that it kind of goes with our advertising expense and allows us to judge it. Or you know what? I don't even want an advertising. I want that discount to lower down my labor sales because if I sell it for a hundred, discount it for 40, I don't really care. I originally sold it for 100, I only got 60 out of it. But what I always tell people is for the most part, 99.9, maybe just 99% of expenses, yeah, there's going to be classification issues to be able to look and understand your numbers, but they're all going to get deducted on the tax return. So does it really matter that much? Now, like I said, 99% of the time is the case. That 1% is what we're going to talk about this week and what we can do to make sure that you're not being negatively affected by that. You thought that the convoluted, ever-changing U.S. tax code doesn't have some curveballs in there? Of course it does, and we need to make sure that you're aware of these. So the first and foremost one we're going to start with is probably one that is on all of your financial statements right now, and that is meals and entertainment. And the reason that I call this category meals and entertainment is in the past, up until four years ago, that's exactly what it looked like on a tax return. Meals and entertainment were grouped into one category. Now, I think QuickBooks Online has changed this, but for QuickBooks Desktop, if you load up the standard chart of accounts, or if you have the standard chart of accounts for some of your expense items, you probably still have an expense called Meals and Entertainment. It is the standard name to be loaded in there. And what I want you to do is I want you to get rid of the word entertainment from that expense category. I wanted to say Meals and Entertainment before. I wanted to just say Meals now. Why? Why do we care? So the reason that we care about this is after the 2018 major tax law changes, entertainment expenses no longer are deductible. That's right. So if you had something where you went out and bought concert tickets, took the employees out to a go-kart track, you got tickets to a football game, those are all considered entertainment. And in the past, you're able to take a 50% deduction for that. So if you spent $1,000 on tickets, you would get a $500 tax deduction on it. 
Now, entertainment expense, probably the biggest reason that they got rid of this is was an extremely abused expense category, or they thought it was. I think that there was some validity to this, maybe not on the small business side of it, but generally on the larger business side for sure. And you might be thinking to yourself, as I do most of the time, is, man, the government is just out to take our money. So, of course, they're going to get rid of all of our tax deductions. But this is one, even back in 2018, when they made this change at first, I didn't like it. But then the more I thought about it, I would say to myself, you know what? I don't think that this is really that bad of an idea. Because what you have to think about is if someone else or some corporation is getting a tax deduction, essentially they're not paying tax into the government and you more or less are subsidizing this to a certain degree. The taxes all go into a pool and we all get them to some certain degree, right? So it's a little bit of a stretch to say it's coming out of your pocket, but more or less you're allowing big corporations to deduct entertainment expenses. Well, Hunt, why do I care what they're doing? Because big corporations, when I talk about big corporations, I'm not talking about the guy listening to this that has eight locations, right? I'm talking about major, Citibank, JP Morgan, GE, Apple, you name it, these large, large corporations. And what do a lot of these large corporations have? They have some pretty serious entertainment expenses that they used to write off half of. So think about, and some of you might have been in it before, the friend that works for a big company or maybe you have a friend that owns a big company and he has a skybox at the stadium. In the past, if Coca-Cola had a skybox or maybe five skyboxes and they spent $600,000 on those skyboxes for the ability to have those to take customers in. In the past, they would be able to deduct $300,000. Now they can deduct zero, right? And so this is kind of the piece of it where There's not many expenses where I could argue, hey, the IRS got rid of us deducting that, that I would say, eh, you know what, I agree with that one. But this one, I think, is. And going back to renaming the category on it is, for my clients listening to this, I got to put this disclaimer out there and... This is not for the IRS listening because we're doing everything on the up and up here. But if someone sees meals and entertainment expense, there's a chance that they could say, hey, that's entertainment. We're not going to deduct that. Now, if I see a client that has meals and entertainment expense, we're going to deduct that as a meal. The reason is, is because if you look into that category, almost exclusively, these are being used for meals. Now, what has kind of something that the IRS didn't think about is when you change the tax code, it is a perpetual count cat and mouse game. Obviously, the ultra wealthy and large corporations are playing this game on a massive scale. But even on a small business level, I can see some people getting pretty creative. And entertainment is no different because what the IRS did is they said, all right, if we no longer make entertainment expense deductible, people are not going to deduct this on the tax return. Is that the case? No. I don't have very many clients that ever really had a significant amount of entertainment expense, but I generally don't see anyone that has truly non-deductible entertainment expense. What I've seen over the years, and obviously this was not any of my clients, and obviously we didn't prepare any of these tax returns, but in the past where you had those season tickets and those would go into entertainment expense, some of these people were actually moving these expenses and calling them advertising expenses. The reason that they were calling them advertising expenses is their justification behind it is that season ticket, it was not going to themselves. That season ticket is something that they were giving out to good customers and vendors that they work with. And so what happened in that situation is let's say that person spent 10 grand a year on season tickets. 
In the past, as an entertainment expense, they were getting a $5,000 tax deduction. But now that they're reclassifying the stuff into advertising expense, they are actually getting a 100% tax deduction. So these people, again, not my clients, didn't do these tax returns on it. These clients are actually getting twice the benefit they were before because the IRS was nice enough to get rid of the entertainment expense completely. So big thing for you to take away from the entertainment side of this one is get rid of entertainment from your account name in QuickBooks, first and foremost. If we're going to do it, it's fine. Your accountant might not. Depends on which one of those words they read first, I guess. And also, like I said, you know what? Take a look and see if this stuff in there is really an entertainment expense, or maybe you were just lazy on it, or you didn't know the implications of putting in entertainment. Really, unless you're not trying to get a tax deduction whatsoever, there shouldn't be a whole lot of anything going into entertainment expense, because like I said, we just don't see that much entertainment for a shop. Now, we'll go in a little bit later here because, you know, some of these team building stuffs are an example of entertainment to a certain degree, but they can also be looked at a little bit differently. Again, 100% tax deduction. So we're talking about meals and entertainment, and we've already covered the second half of that of entertainment and what you got to be careful about for and long and short, don't want to be using that category, especially if you're looking for tax deductions. So talking about meals, and this is a bit of a tricky one. There are as you might be surprised by this, is there's never anything cut and dry with the IRS. They try to make this stuff as convoluted as possible. And the best part about it is they're making these rules that there's no way that the normal taxpayer, the normal business owner would ever really be able to aware of this. So the reason I put this disclaimer out there is if some of you have read the tax code on meals, not sure why, but you might notice that I'm kind of oversimplifying some of this stuff, and this is by nature. We're not going to get into the weeds here. Let's talk about the easy examples. Let's talk about the most common things that shops are seeing. So for meals, there's really two different categories, 50% deductible meals and 100% deductible meals. So on the 50% side of it, it means just like what we used to have with entertainment. You spend $100 on a meal, you get a 50% deduction, or you get to deduct 500 bucks. Now, on the other side of it, there is also kinds of meals that you can deduct 100% of. A 100% deduction, so you spend a 1000 you get a $1,000 deduction. But what are the differences between the two, and what are common examples of each situation? So let's start with the most common one, which is 50% meals. If it cannot satisfy the second category of 100% meals, it by default falls into this 50% meals. So what is a 50% meal or truly what is a business meal? Because this is what it is. So business meals are generally done during the business day. They can be done after hours if they're a client meeting, shareholder meeting, employee meeting, or something like that. But generally meals that are eaten throughout the day that are not inside the building, whether you're driving around town, whether you're doing other things around your neighborhood, or you're traveling across the country, whether it's to visit another shop, go to training, or do whatever you want. As long as that there is a business purpose to this and there's business discussed on it, then it's going to be deducted 50%. Now, what qualifies a business meal starts to get extremely blurry for small businesses, especially when small businesses work with their spouse or maybe even have their spouse as a co-owner. What might look like a meal to you and I that you just share with your wife could look like a business meal if you guys both work together and we're talking about business. 
Now, we're not going to get even trickier on that one because there's other ways that you can classify it. But the general idea here is meals are something, 50% meals are pretty much everything that we're not going to talk about next here. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Hunt, why are these 50%? Why is entertainment 50%? Why is meals 50%? Let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Trax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. So entertainment kind of, I guess, follows the same idea that meals does. But the idea behind meals is the reason that these meals are only 50% deductible is you would be eating no matter what. Eating a meal is not a business requirement. You're not saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to go grab a double cheeseburger since I'm at work. But if I was at home, I would just be sitting there eating nothing. No. So the IRS makes a really good point here. Doesn't happen very often, right? There's like two compliments to the IRS in this episode. I promise that I won't give them another one, at least for a couple months here. But the whole idea here is that they're saying, hey, whether or not you are operating the business, whether or not you are working, you're still going to have to eat, which is a pretty good point. Now, like I talked about before, there are situations where there is a 100% deduction for meals. Obviously, everyone is looking to say, hey, how can I justify this being a 100% meals expense? So what kind of things qualify for 100% meals? So the general idea for 100% meals is meals provided for customers or waiting areas or for the employees slash employers convenience. All right, Hunt. Just like the tax code, that's as clear as mud here. So what are we really looking for? What are the usual things that you see for shops? So the first one and the easiest one that you should always, always, always be deducting here is waiting area food. So maybe you have a K-cup out there. Maybe you have a mini fridge. Maybe you have snacks. Maybe you bring in donuts every single day. Maybe you have pizza or whatever for your customers coming in there. This is all 100% deductible. So I want to talk about the tax code here, but I also want to talk about like real practical classification and naming, just like we talked about before, QuickBooks expense accounts. So you got to be careful because if you're dumping all of this stuff into meals or meals and entertainment, then how are we going to know what is a business meal, what is a 100% meal, what is a meeting, et cetera, et cetera. And so for something like on-site food for customers in a waiting area, I'm not going to put that under meals. I'm going to put that under office supply, office expense, or something like that. Why? Because again, like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much where the stuff is classifying unless it's something like this where could be confused for a 50% meal. And to avoid all aspects of this being construed as a meal, I'm going to put this under office expense. 
Why? Because office expenses always deducted 100%. And this food that we have on site for our customers is always 100% deduction. So just put it right into office expense. Some people actually have another expense slide called customer waiting area food or customer food expense or something like that. You can do that, but I like to keep this simple. And unless you're spending an exorbitant amount of money on this waiting area food, I don't think that there's a big reason of why you need to be tracking this stuff in that much detail. Sometimes too much detail actually makes you lose the entire sight of what we're trying to do here with the financials. So the other big way that people can deduct meals 100% is on-site meals. And so if you have on-site meals, whether that is luncheons for a birthday for one of your technicians, whether that is if you have a meeting on-site and you bring in some pizza and whatever for the guys, whether that is some on-site training or again, you bring in food for the employees. The idea here is this is for the employee and employer's convenience because I'm trying to have a meeting here. I'm trying to do something inside And by bringing the food in, it allows you guys to eat without having to leave or go pick up food, et cetera, et cetera. Big thing here that the IRS talks about is they need to be infrequent or irregular. Now, practically, what does that mean? So technically, if you have meals every single Friday, like Friday is taco truck day, we're going to have meals every single Friday. That is not going to be a 100% meals. If you have a Friday meal this time and you don't have another one for six months, that's a 100% meal. So it has to be kind of random, has to be kind of spur of the moment. It can't be something that is regular, something that is scheduled out and happens very frequently. So again, like we were talking about the meals for the customer areas, how do we make sure that those are classified a little bit differently? So a lot of my clients put something like employee promotions, meeting expense, Something that does not have meals in the name again, because we're looking for a 100% deduction on it. I do not want meals in that title anywhere. When we are looking at tax returns, when we are looking at our clients' financial statements, we're going to triple check to make sure that that meal is really a 50% meal and doesn't need to go into a different category where we can take the full deduction on it. But that's just what we do. I don't know what your accountant does. I don't know how much detail they're getting into. So if I want to take 100% deduction for something, I just don't want to risk it and have meals anywhere in the name. So calling these a meeting expense is going to essentially double your deduction if you were only getting 50% of it before. So like I talked about a little bit earlier with entertainment, there is deductions for parties throughout the year. So common example would be Christmas party. Hey, we went out to this restaurant. We got some different things. We went out and did some go-karts on it. We did some team building on this. As long as these are happening frequently throughout the year on it, and again, kind of a business purpose behind it, you can get a 100% deduction for these. So don't call that an entertainment expense. That is going to be a meeting or employee parties or something like that. Another thing here that would also be, I just thought of this, I was going down through my notes and I was like, wait, you know what? I need to add this in here as I do sometimes. And this is why it usually takes me three times as long to record. But one of the things that just came up that some of my clients do is also like open houses for customers. Some of my clients do some really cool things where, you know, they bring kids in to kind of train them about cars. So one of my clients the other day, I wish I could shout you out. It was pretty cool. They were getting the Girl Scouts in there, kind of teaching them about cars and stuff like that. But any of this stuff, open house, customer appreciation event, stuff like that. Again, this is going to be a 100% deduction. You're providing meals on site. You're providing food on site. Primary objective of that is going to be for customers, not for yourself. 
But just like we've been talking about a ton, don't put that under meals, put that under meeting expense. Or if it's really like an open house type thing, probably would put that under advertising expense since that's the ultimate purpose of what you're trying to do. Get your name out there, feed the neighborhood. Hopefully they'll come back and spend some money with you. So I told you before, there's really only two categories, 50% and 100% meals, which is true for repair shops. I have to mention this other one, give you guys a quick extra bonus here. There is something called 80% meals. Now, it is something that I don't think I've ever seen on any of the tax returns that I've prepared, but I had to mention it here. So 80% meals are called DOT meals because they apply when you're under DOT hours limit. So pilots, truckers, railroad employees, merchant mariners, anyone that has kind of an hours limits on how long they're allowed to be flying, driving and riding along on a train, all of those things, you get 80% deduction for your meals for those people that are self-employed. So I know some of you are thinking tow truck drivers because they are under some of these same DOT regulations, but unless they are self-employed, there will be no deduction for them because they're buying their own meals. They're a W-2 employee. There's no real way for them to deduct those meals. And if you are buying them lunch, then that's going to be 100% deduction. So why would I ever want an 80% deduction for this? Very, very rarely ever seen in there, but you know what? A little bit of bonus information for you guys. And bring that up at your next dinner party. Really impress some people that you knew what 80% meals are. They might ask you to leave the dinner party, but hey, you know what? You can share away. So moving on here, meals and entertainment. Hopefully you guys got that. You guys mastered it. Got a little bit of background for that. And also some changes you probably need to be making on your QuickBooks file. But let's talk about charitable contributions. Again, charitable contributions on your financial statements, on your profit and loss statement are going to look like an expense. This is when you're donating to church, your business is donating to a local charity, and it all looks like a deduction. But is it though? So yes and no. It is a deduction to a certain degree, but there is some kind of a little bit of intricacy on here on how it flows through to you personally. So if you're an S corporation partnership or even a sole proprietor, it is not actually a deduction on the business return. Let's say that I have a shop, I made $105,000 and I also then made a $5,000 charitable contribution to my local church. I am not going to show a $100,000 net income on my business. I'm actually going to show $105,000 of net income. Now, since I'm an S Corp, that $105,000 flows over to my personal taxes. Now, that $5,000 that I spent with that charity also flows over to my personal taxes. So I'll end up having $105,000 of business income, and then the charitable contribution comes off personally as an itemized deduction. So you might be saying to yourself, well, hon, if even if it's separate, 105 minus 5 is still 100. Why do I care? Because what if you don't itemize? So what is itemizing? Itemizing means you're deducting charity, you know, mortgage interest, real estate taxes on your personal taxes. But if you don't have that much in interest or that much in real estate taxes or charity, a lot of you are probably taking the standard deduction, which means that $5,000 of charity flowing over from your business actually doesn't get deducted anywhere because you're already taking a standard deduction. If you're taking the standard deduction, you cannot itemize. So big thing to consider here because best case scenario, this is going to be deductible for you. But there's a lot of situations where it's no longer going to be deductible. So why you have to be careful about this and what you can do to kind of minimize this 
is be very careful what you put into charity. Again, when I'm looking down through charitable contributions, when we're preparing tax returns, we look in there to see what you're actually doing. And sometimes we will reclassify that for you or go back and ask you some questions on it. But something like sponsoring a t-ball team or buying a hole for a golf tournament, a lot of I see a lot of people putting that in for charity. And really, even if some of these are sponsored by a 501c3 organization, a lot of times you truly could even take it as a charitable contribution. Because a lot of times when you buy that hole for that golf scramble, you also get to play golf there too. So if the IRS ever looked at it, not only could it have limitations of being deducted, the IRS ever found it, they might even throw it out because they would say, hey, this is an even charity. This You're getting personal benefit out of this. But for things like that, where you're sponsoring a t-ball team or buying a hole for charity and get your sign out there, don't call that charity, call that advertising. Because that's truly what it is. You're putting your name out there, you're putting your logo out there. That is a perfect and great example of advertising. In best case scenario, it will make no difference because your charity is 100% deducted, so is advertising. Why risk it though? Just put it to advertising. The difference is for you as a business versus someone deducting that charity personally is you don't have personal advertising expense. If I'm just a regular Joe Schmo, I work for someone else, I can't deduct me paying for a hole of golf saying sponsored by Hunt. I don't have a business. There's nowhere for me to deduct that. However, for Parmelis and Associates, if I sponsor a hole for a charity golf outing, that's going to be advertising for my company. That's going to be deduction for my company. So that's the big thing to gather here on charitable contributions is if it's a straight up deduction or straight up contribution to a church, you wrote $3,000 check to your local church. Yeah, that's not advertising, right? That's going to be a charitable contribution, 100%. But a lot of the stuff that we see running through there truly just is not charity. It's more like advertising and it actually works in your favor to call it advertising. Now, I got to mention these two other situations because whenever we talk about charity, donating a piece of equipment or one of your loaner cars or just any car that you have or writing off work that you do for charities is the two most common things that come up there. And so I want to explain this. And this is how it relates to a business. On a personal level, it can be a little bit different, but how it works for your business. So let's say that you go out, and I just had a client ask me this the other day, but he went out and he bought a four-post lift 10 years ago. It was $10,000. And 10 years down the road, that thing was looking pretty rough, and he wanted to get rid of it. But instead of getting rid of it, he was going to donate it to a local charity. I can't remember what this charity does that has a four-post lift. Anyways, he wanted to donate it to this charity. And he calls me up and he says, hey, Hunt, I want to donate this lift for charity. They're going to give me a letter that says that the lift is worth $4,000. So I need to make sure that I deduct this on my business's taxes. And I told him, we cannot deduct that. And he said, why? Why cannot we not deduct this? If this was personally and I went and donated this stuff to Goodwill and it had fair market value of $4,000, I could take a $4,000 deduction on my personal taxes. Now, the difference is, is kind of like advertising. Advertising is an expense for business. Advertising is nothing when you're doing it personally. Same thing when if I go out and I buy a four post lift personally and I spend 10 grand, that is not a deduction for me. However, in a business, when I go out and buy that four post lift, it is a $10,000 deduction. And as we know, we can write all of that off in the first year. So that is the exact reason why a business cannot take an additional tax deduction for that. Because if you were to look at this, that client already got a $10,000 deduction when he bought that lift and placed it in service. 
If he was to get another $4,000 deduction when he donated that to charity, he's actually getting a grand total deduction of $14,000. How can you get a deduction for $14,000 when you only spent $10,000? Keep in the back of your mind, a lot of these things, especially when it relates to charity and fair market value and stuff like that, take a look at how much money you spend. There is not many cases, and maybe we'll cover a topic where there is, but there are not many cases where you can deduct more than you spent. It just doesn't make any sense. You spend $2, how can you deduct 75? If you spend $2, usually the most you can ever deduct is two. Now, kind of along the same lines there, what about if you're running a ticket through your shop management software, it's a $2,000 ticket, and you said, you know what, this is actually for the church, and so I'm not going to charge them, and I would like to write this off. How much of a write-off are you getting for that ticket? So here is kind of a tricky one because it really depends on how you run this ticket through. And so let's say that you do not run this ticket through or you discount it all off and you obviously are going to buy the parts for it and you're going to deduct those. You're obviously going to pay whatever the technician's time was on that. That is the extent of the deduction for this work. Can you deduct the $2,000 that you didn't charge the charity? No, because you never received that $2,000. You never spent that $2,000. You cannot deduct the opportunity cost of doing that charity work. All you can deduct is the direct expenses associated with it, which would be the direct parts and the labor that you paid out for your employees to do that work. Now, on the other hand of this is a lot of people like to run this stuff through full retail. So you can see the opportunity cost of that. And so then in that situation, you will actually see a $2,000 expense for charity on there because you're going to have a $2,000 sale. might be split with parts and labor, but essentially you're still washing each other out. We got $2,000 in sales, $2,000 in charitable expense, and all that's left over is going to be, again, the parts and the labor that we paid out. But again, just like I was talking about before with classifying, you know, some of those other things as charity, be careful what kind of stuff you run down through as charity. Hey, if there's just kind of a person in a neighborhood that's kind of in need and you're going to eat the cost of that repair job, don't put it under charity because it's truly not charity. You can't deduct just giving someone else money. It has to be, you know, a qualified organization. So if you had a situation like that, I would probably just call it bad debt. Hey, you know what? This guy doesn't have any money to pay me. He is not going to pay me. So this is not going to be collectible. 100% deduction. Don't have to worry about any of this flow through limitations or anything like that. All of this charity stuff is, like I said, really kind of more targeted towards S-Corp partnerships and sole proprietors, which is probably what 99% of the people listening are. If you have a C-Corporation, meaning that you're paying the tax on a corporate level, there is still deduction or there's still limitations on what you can do for charity is a lot different than kind of what we were talking about here before, but kind of the same overall idea is the same. You know, if it is charity and there's no other way to around it, put it in charity. But if there's other things, then could be classified as advertising bad debt, put it there because again, best case scenario, you get all the deduction. Worst case, that's limited or completely eliminated for deduction at all. So moving on down the list here, and kind of when I went down through this, I went down through a profit and loss and kind of picked this out. So it's almost in alphabetical order. But when we get to insurance, most insurance is 100% deductible. Health insurance for your employees, you know, garage keepers, liabilities, workers comp, all that's 100% deductible. There is really two big kinds of insurance, though, that are generally not deducted at all. And that's disability insurance and life insurance. 
So disability insurance is something that we don't see that much because a lot of times that is paid by the employee. This is AFLAC, you know, for if someone gets hurt or injured or unable to work for whatever, they got short-term disability to be able to cover it. So quick thing about disability insurance, AFLAC's the one that always comes to my head, but there's a number of people that offer this. If you do not have it, I would really, really look into getting it. And like I said, most of the time, my clients aren't even paying for the disability insurance. The employees are paying for this. And why it is so important, especially for this industry, is let's say that you have a technician and your technician goes and gets injured, not on the job because that's workers comp, that's your dollar. But let's say he's out riding dirt bikes over the weekend with friends or riding his motorcycle or driving his car and he gets injured and breaks his leg. If you're, you know, a heavy line diesel tech with a broken femur, you're probably not going to be very effective for a number of months. And now if this is an opportunity where you can go and kind of transition roles and be a service advisor till you mend, then great. But a lot of times I've seen employees that are laid up for months, weeks, not able to work. If you can't work, you can't get paid on it. The reason why this disability is so helpful, not only for the employee, but for the employers as well, is obviously if this were to happen, it's still going to hurt figuratively and literally here. But it's going to be able to get the employee some money. They don't get 100%. I think most of them pay out about like 80% of what their normal wages are. But it's definitely going to help out when they don't have a paycheck coming in there. And also you as the employer. I've seen a lot of situations where my clients go really above and beyond in these exact situations of, hey, you know what? Trevor's laid up for three months. He's been with me for 12 years. There's no way I'm going to let him sit at home for three months and not get paid. He's going to heal. He's going to get better. And he's going to come back on it. And I'm going to continue to pay him, which is awesome. I love to see that kind of stuff. But how much of the cost is that for you as an employer? This is tens of thousands of dollars. Generally, the monthly premium for this AFLAC is like 20 bucks at most. I've seen six, eight, 10, 12 dollars. Really depends on what you get there, but it is extremely, extremely, extremely affordable. And if you're paying for it as an employer or if the employee is paying for it, it's so cheap and it's really a good thing when needed. Hopefully no one ever needs it, but just like a lot of things, you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But this one is a bit complicated here as far as the deductibility of it. But the long and short is, is it generally can be deducted, but is generally not ever deducted. Huh? What? Yeah, so you can deduct disability insurance as a business. So if you are the employer and you pay out $100 a month for all of your employees' disability insurance, you can deduct that as a business expense. However, we almost never deduct those for our clients. The reason is, is because how you deduct the premium is how the proceeds are taxed. Meaning if you deduct that $100 premium and they were to get injured the next day and end up collecting $20,000 in disability benefits, that is now going to be taxable to them. If I don't deduct that, it is not going to be taxable income. And since the premiums are so low compared to what the net payout could be, it's generally not worth the risk to ever deduct on there. Now, another thing that comes into the same exact situation is life insurance. So life insurance is the same exact example. Now, all disability insurance generally can be deducted if the employer is paying for it. There are certain things that can be deducted for life insurance and certain plans that don't qualify. But as a general rule of thumb, we almost never, ever, ever deduct life insurance. 
The reason is exactly the same as like we talked about for disability. The premium that you pay in that compared to what that ultimate benefit can be does not make any sense to try and risk jeopardizing that massive tax bill on whatever it is. So let's say that I pay $5,000 a year for my life insurance premium and it's a million dollar policy. So I pay that for, let's say, six years. It's going to cost me $30,000 in premium. And I got greedy and I said, you know what? I'm never going to use this one. So I want to get a tax deduction for it. I might save, let's call it, let's round up. Say we're going to save $9,000 on deducting that premium, which is probably still too high. Now, unfortunately, six years in one day, I die and, you know, I get to cash in or I guess I don't get to cash in. My wife gets to cash in this million dollar life insurance policy. And she goes, I'm really sad, but at least I have a million bucks. But she doesn't have a million bucks because I deducted that life insurance. That million dollars to her is now taxable. So that million dollar now goes from a million down to, say, seven hundred thousand dollars. For me risking and getting a deduction of 9000 I just lost out on $300,000 in future benefits. That's an extreme example, but also really, really common. Maybe your life insurance, you're older and it could be a little bit more. So maybe you you know, decided to deduct and got the benefit of $30,000. It's never going to come anywhere close to the drawback of actually getting that policy and having that taxed. So disability Life insurance can be deducted. We generally do not ever deduct life insurance. Now, from your guys' perspective on it, is there anything that you need to do? Is there anything that you need to notify us on? No, because we're looking under there. We see it classified as life insurance. We see it classified in disability insurance. We know what to do. Also, because we know these rules, if you just have a general category called insurance, this is why we print out your account details. It will actually look down through you. So if you've ever wondered why we called up and said, hey, why do you pay State Farm? What is this payment for $112? What we're doing is we're checking to make sure that it's not life insurance or disability. Now, how would the IRS ever be able to trace this back to that key employee, the cash on a life insurance that you deducted on your tax return six years ago? I agree. I've never really heard of situations where they've been able to connect those dots on it, but always like to be careful here. Like I was saying before, the risk is just not worth the reward. It's generally not a ton of money. And if it is a good money of what you're paying, then that probably means that your policy is pretty massive too. So last but not least on here, and this is something that is generally the last line on the financial statement, and a lot of times this is down underneath other expenses, is fines and penalties. Fines and penalties. So fines and penalties in most all situations are non-deductible expenses. Essentially what is going on here is the IRS does not want you to get a tax deduction for breaking the law. So let's say you get a sales tax audit and you owe them $40,000 in tax plus another $20,000 in penalties for stealing their money. The $40,000 that you pay that auditor for the actual tax amount is a deduction for the business. It's just sales tax that you have to pay them. Now, the $20,000 in penalties are not a tax deduction for you. And the reason behind this is because the government or a organization acting on behalf of the government does not want you get to get a tax benefit for breaking the law. It doesn't really seem fair that you give them $20,000, but it really only costs you, you know, two thirds of that because you get a tax deduction for this. So other things that fall into this category are going to be parking tickets. Yeah, I know it doesn't seem like you're breaking the law because you're not getting arrested for a parking ticket. 
unless you got a bunch or you drive off with a boot on. But parking tickets is still breaking a government regulation or government law, and that would be looked as a fine or penalty, not deductible. Speeding tickets, red light tickets, any sort of traffic infringements and stuff like that, obviously not a deduction because that is a fine or a penalty. Filing tax returns late. Hey, you forgot to file your sales tax return. They waxed you for 300 bucks. Technically a deduction. You forgot to file your 941 payroll tax return, which is a big penalty for those of you that have gotten it. Technically not a deduction. Fines for violating workplace, OSHA codes, standards, stuff like that. Not a deduction. They don't want you to get any benefit. They're trying to penalize you, right? That's why they call them penalties. Why would they also give you the benefit of having a tax deduction? So the long and short on it here is I'm not telling you to move this to another category so you can get a deduction for it. You can make your own determination on that one. The overall thing here is be very careful what you put in here because the most common thing is kind of like what we were talking about with charity. People are like, ah, what is this? Oh, you know, this is a fine or a penalty. So this is where it's going to go. And so like a common thing that I see in here is you have a $50 charge for missing a payment on your credit card. People put that to fines and penalties. Hey, I got penalized for making a late payment. No, don't put that into fines and penalties. That's non-deductible expense. That's a bank fee. That's a credit card fee. That's interest, whatever you want to call it. Don't put it in fines and penalties. Again, just like some of these other ones, if it is truly a fine and penalty, it's sometimes cut and dry there. It needs to go there and it's not going to be deducted, unfortunately. But if you can justify that that should really be going into another category, maybe that's not a penalty, that is actual tax amount, or maybe that is not a parking ticket that was just parking expense or paying the parking garage, then put it under automobile expense. So make sure only truly penalties and fines that are not going to be a deductible expense go into this category. So I bet you that there was some new information for you on there. If nothing else, I can almost guarantee you that you did not know about the 80% meal. So at least you can leave with that if everything else on there was stuff that you already knew. But hopefully gave you some ideas on ways that you can double check to make sure that this is getting classified correctly. Like I said, when we're going down through doing that December review, doing the tax returns for our clients, we're looking into this stuff a lot for some of these expense categories that can be a little bit tricky. Hey, on the tax return at that point, do I care if it's office expense versus just general supplies. No, still going to be 100% deduction for my clients. But if I see something that's in non-deductible expenses, or if I see something that we might actually want to make a non-deductible expense, my team is always looking out for that to make sure that you're not making any mistake without kind of you knowing it. Because a lot of this stuff is the reason why I do these episodes. The tax code is confusing. The tax code is ever changing on it. And there's a lot of little ins and outs that are really already affecting, I would say probably everyone that is listening to this podcast really without you guys ever knowing it. So as always, please share with friends, family, shop owners, other self-employed people that might get a kick out of this. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.